So it's James chapter 1, and we might as well start at the beginning, as it's not very long. So James 1, verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humility, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls, and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let's just pray. Father, we want to commit these words, your words, Lord, to our lives. And Father, your heart for us is that we grow in maturity, we grow in love, we grow in all the things of of you. And so, Lord, we need your help in this. We need, Holy Spirit, we need you to take hold of these words and apply them to our hearts. So, Father, I pray, Lord, as we open our ears, our minds, our hearts to you, Father, speak to us. Teach us. Help us to give everything over to you. To live in you and through you. We pray that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. When, by the grace of God, I, I became a Christian. I was, I was quite young at the time. In fact, I was convinced that being a follower of Jesus was certainly the best way, to living, best way of living. And actually, actually, I was very much amazed by how much Jesus loved me. As I grew a little older, I began to listen with interest to various um, sermons and even read a few Christian books. And then I heard about how Christians suffered and were persecuted. And if I'm honest, I I sort of struggled with that. I struggled to really understand that, after all, if being a Christian really was the best way of living, how on earth could that possibly also involve suffering? And as I looked more and more into Scripture, it became very obvious that Christians were not just suffering, but more than that, they were expecting to suffer. And this is exactly where James goes to in this just right at the very beginning of this letter, the greeting is, well, just a word. 
greetings, and then he dives straight in there. So if you have this idea that that Christians won't suffer, verse 2 just blows it completely out of the water. Suffering is part of living for Jesus. I hope you don't find it too shocking, but that is the truth. Suffering is part of living for Jesus. And, And James spends much of his letter addressing the trials that test our faith in Christ. But James goes even further, because in James chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be, may be, again, you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, if that doesn't sound crazy to you, you haven't really been listening, maybe. So give your eyes a bit of a rub and give yourself a bit of a shake and just listen to these words again. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And if I'm honest, my first response to that when I first heard it, perhaps all those years ago, was more fear than actually joy. Yet James definitely says that we are to consider facing these many trials of our lives pure joy. Is he wrong? Is he lying? Well, no. After all, this is the Holy Spirit has dictated these words. So this is God himself saying to us, we can find joy in the trials of life. And even though these words may feel strange to us, there is also hope within these words. Yet it's It is difficult to see how trials could ever bring true joy. So we bear them, we even put on maybe a good face in around them, but trials are definitely not pure joy. They are painful. After all, they are called trials. So James, he's referring to the suffering, to the challenges, to the the doubt, to to the difficulties and situations that we face every day in life sometimes, but also, surprisingly, but no less, serious, the trials of riches, of power, of success. And these things can tug us away from Jesus. In fact, the normal grind of life and the lure of approval from others can sometimes be more damaging to our trust in Jesus than actually the suffering itself. For others, of course, it is the complete opposite. And James is writing to tell us in whatever form these trials come in, we need to recognize them and to be joyful in them. So what does James mean here? Well, the key is to look at exactly what the text is saying. It doesn't say that trials are or can be pure joy, but that we are to consider it pure joy when we face them, or different translation, when we meet trials of various kinds. So he's not asking us to enjoy pain or to enjoy suffering, but that we need to respond to these trials in a godly fashion. And this is to have a joyful attitude. See, attitude determines our actions. And what our expectations are will actually determine how we respond in any particular situation. So if you've been told that when you become a Christian that all of your problems are going to magically disappear and then you hit that very first problem, 
you're going to, you're going to, your attitude is going to be anything other than joyful, is it not? The truth is, God tells us that we are to expect these trials. Jesus tells and warns his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells the converts, those he led to Jesus, he says, we must go through many hardships in to enter the kingdom of God, Acts 14, verse 22. And because we are God's scattered people, we must go through these trials. Perhaps one of my favorite um, illustrations, or it's perhaps a little bit simplistic, and I know it's got errors, but it just helps maybe to us to explain or even understand God working within our lives during those difficult times. It's the picture of God weaving a beautiful tapestry together with both light and dark colors, joyful and sorrowful times. However, on this side of heaven, we stand behind the tapestry and usually all that we can see are the knots and the ends and the frayed pieces of, of the tapestry. We can't really see what God is doing. If we could get to the other side of it, of that tapestry, we could see God doing something beautiful. But we live on the underneath with the painful circumstances and God's purposes often feeling very unclear. So when we face trials in life, we must evaluate them in the light of what God is doing for us and in us. And you will be able, James says, to have joy in the middle of trials when we live for the things that really matter within our lives. In other words, what you value will determine how you evaluate a particular situation or circumstance. So if you value comfort more than character, then our trials are going to upset us. If you value material and physical more than spiritual, then we're not going to be able to truly count them all joy. If we live only in the present and not in the future, then trials are going to make us bitter, not better. And the best example, of course, comes from the life of Jesus. It tells us in the Bible that Jesus was able to endure the cross because of the joy that was set before him. The joy of returning to heaven and one day sharing his glory with his church. So when you begin to see purpose, when you begin to see in the difficulties that you're experiencing and you see hope beyond it, when you see things the way God sees things, you can find joy. So look at trials through the eyes of faith. We don't pretend. We don't try and put on some sort of brave act. But when trials come, we give thanks to God. We adopt a joyful attitude. You see, to end with joy, we need to actually begin with joy. But the big question, how on earth do we do it? James goes on. He says we need, if we want to turn our trials into triumph, we need, yes, to be joyful, but also we need to have an understanding mind. See, when you know, what you know will actually make a difference within your life. So faith is always tested. The very beginning of the Old Testament, God called Abraham to live by faith. 
and he tested him in order to increase his faith. And God always tests us to bring out the very best in us, whereas Satan actually tempts us to bring out the worst in us. But this testing of your faith will actually prove that you are born again. Listen, God will only test those that he loves. He will discipline his children, just as any good father will discipline their children. So when you begin to understand that the purpose of these trials are actually to make us mature, you will be able to begin to ask the right questions. What does God want to produce within my life? What's God's purpose in all of this? And James, well, he gives us the answer, conveniently. He says, patient endurance and the ability to keep going when things get tough. In fact, Paul talks about a very similar thing in Romans chapter 5. He says, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. James, very similarly, in, in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And listen, the purpose of testing is to produce perseverance and steadfastness within our lives. But this steadfastness is not the end goal in itself. It's not about us having a stiff, a stiff upper lip. It's about us keeping going in our faith. It's about experiencing a deep joy that simply comes from knowing and serving Jesus today. And yet at the same time, knowing that we are going to be with him one day. Verse 12. It's about being able to face those hard times of our lives and saying how awful this trial may be, but I still have Jesus. I can still serve Jesus. I can still be with Jesus. And this trial will make me more like Jesus, more mature, more complete. In fact, it is better for me to go through this trial than not to go through it. And if we can manage to understand that, it can help us to know pure joy, James says. But this attitude doesn't come naturally to me. And I'm guessing, but I don't think it comes naturally to many of us. We need to ask God to give this to us. God will give this wisdom to anyone who asks. So bring your trials before your Heavenly Father and trust that, his, that He's at work in them and through them. Ask Him for the wisdom to know His purposes in them. Ask Him to mature you as a child through the difficulties that you face. But also, don't be afraid to tell Him how you instinctively feel about these trials. But perhaps most importantly, you need to know and to meditate on the pure joy of knowing His Son. It's only out of relationship that any of these can possibly come together. It's only out of a deep intimacy with Jesus, knowing that you are loved and accepted by him, knowing the grace of God in your life, that you can begin to have such hope and such knowledge of him. And God wants you to patiently endure because this is the key to every other blessing. Anybody who works with kids or, or has kids will, will know that a child who does not learn patience will actually not learn very much else 
either. But when you learn to wait on God, we've heard it already in the service, when we wait on God, then God can do great things through you. But the only way that God can develop patient endurance and character in your life is through trials. Endurance cannot be learnt through reading books. It can't be learnt through listening to sermons. It can't even be learnt by, by praying a prayer. Now, studying the Bible can certainly help us to grow in patience. So, as we read about Abraham or Joseph or Moses or David, and of course about Jesus himself, well, you can realize that God has got a purpose in these trials, but there is no substitute for growth of character unless you go through trials. We must go through these difficulties of life We must trust God, we must obey, and the result of these things will be patience and character. And James says that knowing this means that we can actually begin to face these trials with joy. And while Satan will overpower the ignorant believer, he cannot overcome the Christian who knows their Bibles and who understands the purposes of God. The third thought is this you want to turn trials into triumph, we need to be joyful. We need to know, have a knowledge of God's Word filled with the Spirit. We also need to believe, verse 5 to 8. James has got a lot to say about wisdom. Wisdom is the right use of, of knowledge, and all of us will, of course, know people who seem really well educated, but actually just lack very basic common sense. Academically, they may be absolutely brilliant, But when it comes to making simple decisions in life, they seem almost incapable. We all need wisdom. When you're going through trials, most people think that we should begin to pray. We should be asking that that God would give us strength, that would give us grace and even deliverance. James says, no. Why? Because you need wisdom so that you don't waste the opportunities that God has given you to mature in your faith. See, wisdom helps us to understand, it helps us to apply the knowledge of God's Word and the knowledge and and the work of the Spirit. It helps us to use those difficult circumstances for our good, for our growth, but ultimately also for the glory and for the honor of God. So when you're in the middle of a difficult circumstance, ask people to pray for wisdom. Remember, you can have joy in trials when you look at them with God's wisdom and you recognize that good can actually come through these trials no matter how difficult difficult they may feel in that moment. That does not mean that we are some sort of masochists and want to suffer simply for the sake of suffering. Rather, when God brings suffering into our lives, we persevere, we look forward to the maturity that is going to come through them. In the face of suffering, ask God to help you to see suffering in that light. And if you do this, you will not be tempted to grumble because you will see the true value of those trials. And you will understand that the generosity of God extends even into the challenges that you face. But James, he doesn't just tell us what to ask for. Yes, we ask for wisdom, but he tells us how to ask. He says, ask with faith or ask in faith. 
we must believe and not doubt with this unwavering confidence in God, who, um, which is not influenced by the circumstances or the difficulties that are going on around us. This doesn't mean that we somehow try to work up some sort of motivation within ourselves or a, a state of absolute belief. And if I can just sort of try harder, then eventually it'll all come together without even a shadow of a doubt. Instead, James tells us not to be double-minded. We need to be crystal clear what James means by this. See, doubt is opposed to faith. It's the opposite. So the one who doubts, James says, is double-minded, torn between a life of faith and a life of doubt. But doubt here is this deliberately and rebelliously not fully trusting in Jesus and therefore not trusting him at all. But what's really important, and listen to this, really important, if you sometimes experience doubt, that's me, that's most of us, I'm only guessing, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, if you sometimes experience doubt, but you long to have those doubts replaced by certainty in Christ, you are not the person that James is talking about here. Okay? So what is he talking about? Well, this double-minded man it's spoken about again in chapter 4 and verse 8, and it makes it very clear what this phrase actually means. The people of chapter 4, verse 8, were asking for wealth. So they were, they were asking so that they could spend their money on themselves, they could spend their money on the pleasures of life. Just, all they cared about was, was me. They just wanted to look after number one. This is double-mindedness. See, to ask is godly. There's absolutely nothing wrong with asking. In fact, Jesus tells us to ask. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. So their motives, the motives behind their asking, however, are entirely ungodly. And they have two minds. They are double-minded. The same thing applies here to wisdom in chapter 1. So it's good, it is godly thing to ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. That's what James says. It's good, it is godly to ask for wisdom. But you are double-minded when you have an ungodly reason for asking for this wisdom. You cannot expect God to give it to you. And the single reason for asking for this wisdom is so that you can persevere under trials and so that you can reach your maturity. If you're asking for any other reason, you've misunderstood the need for wisdom. And God will or may not give you what you want. The fourth thought is this. If you want to turn your trials into triumphs, you need to surrender your will. God can build your character. Sorry, God cannot build your character without your co cooperation. If you surrender to him, he will accomplish his purposes. Remember, God's goal in our lives is our maturity. Just like it would be a tragedy if children remain babies forever. Listen, we enjoy to watch them mature. We, we, we love to see them just growing up, even though it brings both dangers as well as delights. But for many Christians, they shelter themselves from the trials of life, and the result is that they never grow up. And God wants little children to become young men, and he wants young men to become fathers. 
and he wants young women to become mothers. And God will build character before he calls us for service. He must work in us before he works through us. So we get examples throughout the Old Testament and New Testament for that matter. God spent 25 years working in Abram's life before he gave him his promised son. Joseph, it was 13 years. He went through the various trials and testing, even ended up in prison for many years before he was put on the throne of Egypt. He spent 80 years preparing Moses for just 40 years of service. Listen, we are no different. God wants to work in you before he will work through you. And God cannot work in you without your consent. There must be a surrendered will, a life that is given completely over to him. The mature person doesn't argue with God's will. Instead, he accepts it willingly and he obeys it joyfully. Listen, if you want to go through, if, if you try to go through these trials of life without a surrendered will, it's not going to end well. In fact, you will end up behaving like an immature, spoilt child. Read a little bit further into James. In James 1, verse 9 to 11, James then applies these principles into different kinds of Christians. Two extreme examples, the poor and the rich. Money and social status was a big problem for the people that James is writing to here. But God's testing has got a way of leveling all of us. Discover that? So when testing comes to a poor man, he must let God have his way and he must rejoice that he possesses spiritual riches that can never be taken away from him. When God tests a rich man, guess what? He also must let God have his way and rejoice that his riches in Christ can never wither or fade away. So in other words, in whatever case, whatever your circumstances, whatever your background, whatever your your status in life, it's not about your physical resources that are going to get you through these trials. It is your spiritual resources. It's what you have in Christ by the Spirit of God. And James wants you to see yourselves in terms of your relationship with God, in terms of the grace of God, not in terms of your circumstances. This, of course, includes our wealth, or for that matter, our lack of it. Begins with knowing where your identity lies, that your identity does firmly lie in Christ, or as James calls it, our higher calling, our higher position. And this high position that every Christian enjoys is that we are servants of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it must be your faith, not your status, that should impact how joyful you are and where your joy comes from. But, when, but you can never live a life like this unless you surrender everything over to God. In the words of the hymn, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, what fears are stilled when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I 
understand. Listen, we have hope only in Jesus Christ. It's only by the grace of God that has been poured into our hearts. It's only because of him that we are able to stand strong when the things come against us. And throughout the Bible, we read of people who turn defeat into victory, who turn trials into triumphs, who instead of becoming victims, live as victors. Through faith in Christ, we can exercise victory, and the result of that victory will be spiritual maturity. As James closes the little section, he finishes with a beatitude. He says, blessed is the man who remains, or the woman, by the way, okay, it's gender neutral, blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial. This also contains just a wonderful promise. For those who patiently endure, they will receive a crown. It's very similar to the athletic illustrations that Paul would often use within many of his letters. The idea of running, the idea of enduring, of finishing well, of completing the race. Now James is not saying that sinners are saved by enduring these trials, but that believers are rewarded when they endure. And that reward, amazing. Three things. First is this, you grow in Christian character. You are built up. In fact, the more that you endure, the stronger that you will become, the more mature that you will become. As you know, I do a bit of running. I've this last year moved up from marathons to ultra marathons, and ultra marathons anything more than 26 miles. And in order to run maybe 30 miles or 40 miles, you don't just go out and do that after, after waking up one morning. It's something you build up to. Otherwise, you kill yourself, pretty much. Okay? So, but you, what you find as you gradually, then a couple of miles more, a couple of miles more every week, over weeks, over months, over years probably, you eventually become stronger and stronger as you keep pressing in, as you, as you keep enduring. Such it is with the Christian character. As you keep pressing through these difficulties, these trials that are coming into your life, listen, God is strengthening you. You are becoming more mature. You're learning. You're growing up in God. Listen, that is the reward for enduring, for persevering, James says. The second reward is this. It brings glory to God. You know, our purpose here on earth is ultimately and always to bring honor and glory to Jesus, to our Father in heaven. That is why and we've been created to give glory to God and actually to enjoy Him forever. And the purpose of enduring, God gets the glory. He is honored. His name is lifted high. As you keep pressing in, as you keep pressing forward, even though it's difficult, He gets the glory. He is honored in and through that. The third thing is this, you will receive the crown of life when Jesus Christ returns. This is our hope for now, but also for all of eternity. Listen, our hope is found in Christ, but he is also our destination, Christ, forever and for always. Then finally, in verse 12, James uses one very important word, love. We would expect him to write that the crown will be given to those who obey or those who trust. Instead, James says, love. Those who love him. Because love should be the motivating factor, the spiritual motivation behind everything that we do. So 
Why can you have a joyful attitude when you face trials? Because you love God and he loved you and he will not harm you. Why do you, de- why do you develop an understanding mind and believe? Because he first loved you. And he has shared his truth with you so that you can love him in return. Why do you have a surrendered will? Because you love him. And listen, when you love someone, surrendering to them having, and being obedient to them really isn't that difficult. See, love and faith go together. When you love someone, you can trust them and you do not hesitate to ask them for help. Help. Love keeps you faithful to God. And in the middle of life's greatest trials, call out to the one who loves you more than anyone could ever love you. Call out to Jesus. Listen, he is the one who went to the cross for you. He is the one who gave his life for you. As he endured that most barbaric of death, he hung there. It wasn't nails that held him there. It was love. Love for you and love for me. He gave us life that we might know him. That is how much he loves you. That's how much he loves each one of us. And because of that, we can persevere in suffering. And we can be steadfast under trials because your goal is to become more like Christ and more in love with God. And if that means God's testing and humbling or even breaking... You can pray, Lord, do whatever it takes and help me to endure. You see, in suffering, we can either run one of two ways. We can either run away from God in despair and bitterness, or we can run towards God in desperate trust. The first one is easier. The second is greater. Trust ensures our faith. It also ensures our future hope. And it means that we are joyful and not crushed. And that is our hope. That is our prayer. Let's just stand together. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, we acknowledge, Lord, the the difficulties of this. Lord, we acknowledge, Lord, that, that none of us like to suffer or to be tested or to deal with the challenges and, and hardships of life. But Lord, also, Lord, we acknowledge that you alone are God, that you are Lord over everything. And Lord, we pray, Lord, for your wisdom. Lord, even for the situations perhaps that some of us may be looking at at the moment, even during this week, Lord, I want to pray for wisdom for my friends here. Lord, wisdom in their situations to know, Lord, what your purpose is, to see your hand, Lord, even though it's difficult. Lord, I want to pray, Lord, as, you, as we begin to, to know you and to live by faith in you, to surrender everything to you, Father, that we would know that joy. What it is to joyfully walk with you in every circumstance, in every situation. 
But Lord, we also, Lord, we lift our gaze as we've spoken of already this morning to you, our Saviour, our Lord. And we just, Lord, are thankful. And Lord, you make it easy to love you because you first loved us. And we are grateful. And we give you praise. And we give you honour. In Jesus' name, amen.